0: Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes, and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. This is an exciting day as we conclude our top 10 series with our number one most downloaded episode of all of 2022. Dr. Jennifer Degler is my knowledgeable and hilarious guest. She is a psychologist, life coach, author, and speaker. And I think you're going to laugh and learn so much as she shares about practical ways females can flourish in their marriage and in their sex life. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Jennifer.
1: Thank you, Laura. Thank you for having me on.
0: Well, will you just start us off by sharing a bit about yourself and how you ended up in this line of work?
1: Well, Laura, I don't think anybody on sixth grade career day says, I want to be a sex speaker when I grow up. Um, It's one of those things that if you end up in this field, it's usually because Of this is just something God called you into. And you've also done your own healing journey and found out that there are a lot of people who are really hungry for solid, practical, biblically-based sexual information. And so I am a clinical psychologist. I am not a sex therapist. A lot of people think I am, but I'm not. I am a clinical psychologist. And when I was a young mom, I was asked to speak on sex to a mops group, a mothers of preschoolers group. And I said, I don't speak on sex. And they were like, no, you're a psychologist. You should be able to speak on this. So I decided I'm going to come up with answers to my questions that I had as a young young mother. Like, where did my sex drive go? Why am I so tired all the time? How, How can I make my sex life better while I still have little ones running around the house? And out of that, first presentation. That was probably 24 years ago. I've just developed a speaking and writing ministry, helping Christian wives make their sex life sizzle.
0: That's amazing, and I'm so grateful for the work that you do. For generations, we've learned more about males' normative experience of sex but you Jennifer do such a great job providing knowledge about the woman's experience as well. So can you tell us more about the three essential aspects to a woman flourishing sexually
1: in marriage? Sure Laura. So this is a model that I developed. I call it the sexual fire triangle. And if you are ever a Girl Scout, you may remember the fire triangle. You need three things to make a fire. You need heat, you need fuel, and you need oxygen. And when you combine those three things, then you get combustion and you get a fire. And I believe as wives, we have three aspects to our sexuality in marriage that we have to keep tending to those three areas in order to keep our sexual fire going. And so the the first part would correspond to fuel and that's a healthy sexually responsive body. And a lot of the work that I do, Laura, is around educating women about their bodies because we just we tend to talk about our our genitals. We say like, oh, it's down there. I got something going on down there and or I don't have anything going on down there, you know, kind of like we're talking about Australia. And so I want to help women understand how does how does their body work in the bedroom. And what can we do to help create that just to make sex feel good and help your body? uh, You appreciate your body and help it work well. And then the second aspect, which would correspond to the heat in the sexual fire triangle, is an emotional connection between a husband and wife. And so helping couples understand how can they improve and deepen that emotional connection? And then finally, would be the oxygen aspect of the sexual fire triangle, which is having biblical, healthy, biblical, positive attitudes towards sex. So what do you think about sex? Because the brain is the most powerful sex organ that you have. Your genitals are important, but that brain is really important, too. So what you're thinking about sex controls many times for women, whether they'll even let their body respond or whether they'll allow themselves to feel an emotional connection to their husband. So we want women to pay attention to those three areas. And if things have been flagging in the the bedroom and, and kind of losing their sizzle, it really helps to just stop and evaluate those three areas. How are things going with my body? How's my emotional connection? And how's my attitude towards sex? That's so
0: helpful. Even the analogy calling it the sexual fire triangle, because there's three elements essential for fire. And I agree with you. These are three different parts that, if you take out any one of those components, it will have an impact on a couple's sex life. So, what we've covered in the past have been the second two that you mentioned, but I really want to go back to the first one the healthy, sexual, responsive body. Can you? elaborate and just tell us more about God's amazing physical design of female genitalia and share how it changes day by day.
1: I would love to Laura and this is where um if people are listening and your kids are in the car if you haven't already <laughs> made them put on their headphones so they can't hear this because we're going to talk about the genitalia and use the correct terminology for that and for so many women and men, they really know very little about the female genitalia. Many times women will just refer to their genitalia as their vagina when that's just part of their genitalia. And so we want to help women recognize, first of all, about their clitoris, that they have this amazing organ on their body that is created solely for pleasure. A a man's penis is a multi-purpose tool. It's not created just for pleasure. It's created for procreation and urination and for pleasure and for writing your name in the snow. Um, There's a lot of purposes of a penis, but a clitoris is only there for pleasure. And so we want to help women understand that's something they need to find if they haven't already. And you can certainly look at anatomical Drawings, and see where that is at the top of that clitoral the lips of the labia, and to understand that all of the nerve endings that are in your husband's penis are are in your clitoris, and that that network of arteries, the network of of all the the blood and the tissue and nerve endings, that all of that continues up into a woman's body. So while the clitoris itself is very small, it's only the size of about about a pea, that a whole lot of things are happening inside your body where you can't see it, that are helping you get sexually excited and helping your body be more responsive. So helping women educate themselves about their clitoris And then understanding that most orgasms that women are having, they're clitoral, even if they're having an orgasm as a result of intercourse. So that would be a a penis and a vagina, that it's because of clitoral stimulation. And that it's difficult for women a lot of times to have an orgasm just from intercourse. That's why we create a baby. But in terms of creating pleasure, we need to make sure that they are. Looking at the clitoris as well, and this is where sexual pain can be an issue many times for women that is not being addressed, and they're having intercourse and it's it's hurting or maybe even not maybe not even intercourse, maybe just some kind of manual stimulation, and that is painful to them and instead of saying, "Hey, that hurts, I need to go get that checked out," a lot of women will just bear just grin and bear it. And that will shut down your body after a while. Your body will begin to armor up. So it's so important that if part of the reason why your sexual fire is going out is because sex hurts, then we need to stop doing what hurts and go and figure out what is causing me this pain. Or if you're thinking, gosh, my genitals just it doesn't hurt down there, but I just don't ever seem to get a lot of pleasure, it doesn't feel good, it doesn't feel bad, but it doesn't feel good, then that's where it's helpful for couples to read a book together, maybe to go and talk to a therapist to figure out, okay, if it doesn't hurt, but it doesn't feel good, what can we do to help maximize the woman's pleasure? That
0: is all so helpful and so clear. And then also, just looking at females' hormones and how they change throughout the day and they change throughout our cycle, what are some helpful tips that we may not be aware of that are actually affecting us sexually?
1: So if you take a typical 28-day cycle, and this would be for a woman who is still has a period, then day one of your cycle is the first day that you you begin bleeding. And then right in the middle of that, usually around day 14, is when you ovulate. And the way you're going to respond sexually can really, really vary from day to day. And so if you start at the beginning on that day one, estrogen is beginning to rise. And that's the happy hormone. And so typically women are beginning to feel better emotionally Now, usually if you're actually on your first couple of days of your period and you're having a lot of cramps and whatnot, you're not necessarily feeling better. But as you're getting into um, days three, four, five, and so on, as estrogen is rising, then you're beginning to feel better. And serotonin, which is a neurotransmitter, it follows estrogen. So when estrogen is up, serotonin is up. And when estrogen goes down, serotonin goes down. Well, serotonin helps with our mood, helps our mood feel more positive, more stable. It helps us sleep better as well. CRF, which has to do with regulating our blood sugar, that follows estrogen as well. So we typically are feeling that we're not having cravings in those first two weeks of our cycle. So usually for a lot of women, this is a great time to have sex because they just are happier and they like the people in their house better and their body is more responsive. And around about maybe day 12, going into day 12, day 13, as you're beginning to ovulate and as you're ovulating, usually around day 14, then you're going to have a surge of luteinizing hormone and you'll ovulate. And whether you can feel the pain of ovulation or not, your body interprets that as you being in pain. So your body decides, I'm going to help you out and I'm going to release some endorphins because you're in pain. So you get this endorphin high around the time that you ovulate And for many women, that is the one time during the month that they actually kind of begin to think about sex without it being prompted, because they're kind of high on endorphins. This is kind of God getting you, trying to get you pregnant, because this is also the time when you are most fertile. And then after you ovulate, usually within about 24 hours after ovulation, your body says, hey, you're not in pain anymore. Let's withdraw these endorphins. And so then you get a little bit of endorphin withdrawal and you feel kind of down. And for many women that they can they go to bed feeling good and they wake up the next day and they're like, "Ugh." And it signals the for some women the beginning of PMS. And assuming you're not pregnant, your body then begins to prepare itself to menstruate. And so your estrogen level begins to drop and your progesterone level begins to rise. And progesterone causes the physical symptoms of PMS. So the breast tenderness and feeling bloated, which oftentimes means we're not as interested in sex. And as well, because estrogen is dropping, serotonin is dropping, so you're not sleeping as well. You're more irritable. CRF is dropping, which means your blood sugar isn't as stable. So we're having more food cravings and we're just crankier. And for a lot of women, this this is not a time when they're interested in having sex because they're maybe their breasts are tender and they're just they're kind of cranky. But I encourage women, see if you can use this time to have what I call cranky sex. Which because if you can have an orgasm, it does help kind of even out your hormones and you will feel better and it releases endorphins, which will help with pain relief for any pain that you may be feeling. And so you can just tell your husband, look, I'm not in the mood for sex, but I know if I have an orgasm, I'll feel better. So I want you, mister, you just take off your clothes, you get in that bed and we're not getting out of the bed until I have an orgasm. And he will probably love that. He will be like, yes, yes, teacher, I will gladly do that and so that becomes a time of realizing hey i don't have to have sex always when i'm feeling like i want sex that i can come at it in a lot of different ways and ultimately it's creating connection with my husband and it's also helping me develop a more positive attitude towards sex because it's not just about him like i'm doing this for him it's about i'm doing this for me and for us. So over that 28-day cycle, you may find your body responds in all different ways and that your interest in sex varies tremendously. And that's why we as women need to be aware of that and where we are in our cycle so that we can understand better, okay, how can I approach sex? How can I think about sex based on where I am in my cycle? Oh my goodness. that was so fascinating. I've
0: studied sex for well over a decade now, and I've never heard it laid out like that with our hormones. So thank you. That is so interesting. And let's just keep going with that. What other sex education do you find is most beneficial to the clients who come to see you?
1: Well, Laura, I think it's in addition to understanding, okay, here's how my cycle works. I think it's really important for women to understand how sleep affects them sexually, and in particular how a lack of sleep will affect them sexually because men have at least ten times the amount of testosterone that we do, and when you When you have more testosterone you 're in drive sexually, and your your body is just going to respond quicker to sexual cues you're more likely to just spontaneously think about sex and then once you you know you're you're kissing or caressing you're able to kind of block out other distractions and just focus on sexual activity but for women because we have more estrogen we're more likely to be distractible during sex and it's harder for us to kind of put out of our mind all these other things that might be going on and Also, when we're fatigued, either we're not getting enough sleep or we are just working incredibly hard, fatigue decreases our levels of sex hormones. Cortisol, which is a stress hormone, suppresses our sex hormones. So, the more stressed out we are, the more fatigued we are, the less interested we're going to be in sex, and our bodies won't respond as well. And when you're sleeping, your body is replenishing those sex hormones. And so I have a formula that that I teach couples, which is for women, more sleep equals better sex. And oftentimes, as I said, I I got into this area because I was a young mom and I was wondering what happened to my sex drive. It's just gone and my body isn't as responsive and realizing I just was sleep deprived. And that, we really, my husband and I needed to partner together to figure out how to get me naps. And once we realized our sex life improved dramatically, if I could get a nap and because your testosterone level as a woman, it's highest upon awakening and it falls as much as a third to a half as the day goes on. So we were waiting until 10 or 11 o'clock at night to have sex. Well, My testosterone level was at its lowest. My energy was at its lowest. And so, of course, I'm not going to respond as well. So trying to get me a nap and also realizing sex in the morning for a lot of women, sex in the morning is going to be a whole lot better for them because you're going to have your highest level of testosterone and your mind is going to be clearer and you're physically going to have more energy. Than if you're waiting until 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night.
0: And okay, just to clarify so by the end of the day, you're saying women's testosterone decreases, it goes down one third or one half, or you end up with one third of what you
1: began with? I'm saying it decreases by as much as a third to a half as your day goes on. So depending on however much you started out with, you're gonna have a third to 50% less than you started out with. And we have Laura, we have testosterone receptors on our genitals, we have them on our nipples, we have them under our arms, and we have them in our brain. I don't know why we have them under our arms, but you know, don't, don't, don't let strangers tickle you. Mm-hmm. Um and so when we have testosterone in those receptors, particularly on our genitals sex will feel better and our genitals will respond better. So that's why we, we want to maximize that as women and realizing sleep will help with that and not being so fatigued. And so understanding, you know, that we have to save energy for sex, which means we need to say no to some things that maybe When was the last time, Laura, that you actually, before you said yes to being on a committee or to bringing cupcakes to school or whatever it might be, to stop and think, how will this impact my sex drive? Mm -hmm. Saying yes to this is going to take some energy, which means there's going to be less left over for sex. So it's a different way as a woman to think about energy and our body and what do I need to do to help sex feel as good as possible in my body
0: let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor
1: I'm so excited to
0: share today's sponsor wind shape marriage with you Windshape Marriage is a fantastic ministry that helps couples prepare, strengthen, and if needed, even save their marriage. Windshape Marriage is grounded on the belief that the strongest marriages are the ones that are nurtured, even if it seems like things are going smoothly. That way, they'll be stronger if they do hit a bump along their marital journey. Through their weekend retreats, Windshape Marriage invites couples to enjoy time away to simply focus on each other. These weekend retreats are hosted within the beautiful refuge of Windshape Retreat, perched in the mountains of Rome, Georgia, which is just a short drive from Atlanta, Birmingham, and Chattanooga. While you and your spouse are there, you'll be well-fed, well-nurtured, and well-cared for. During your time away in this beautiful place, you and your spouse will learn from expert speakers and explore topics related to intimacy, overcoming challenges, improving communication, and so much more. I've stayed on site at WinShape before, and I can attest to their generosity, food, and content. You will be so grateful you went. To find an experience that's right for you and your spouse, head to their website, windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. And then also when we consider our husbands, is their testosterone the same where it's produced or replenished with sleep? And so theirs is also highest
1: upon awakening? You know what? I don't know because I really study women more than I study men. And men tend to have just more stable levels of hormones because they don't have a cycle. When you're a woman, every day is kind of different. And so, those hormones and neurotransmitters, all of this is interacting together. And for men, it tends to just be a little more steady state. However, we do know that fatigue does affect. Men's sex drive. And so, you know, if your guy is working really long hours and not getting enough rest, oftentimes that will show up in a decrease in interest in sex. And, you know, testosterone is not just a sex hormone, testosterone is a hormone of well being. When your testosterone level is normal for whether you're a woman or a man, when it's at a normal level, you just Feel better as a person, and so again it it has yes has a lot to do with sex drive, but it also has to do with just feeling good, so that's why for men, if they've noticed a decline in their sex drive and just not feeling just well being just not having as much well being um they can go and have a blood test and see you know is their testosterone level normal because sometimes particularly as a man maybe gets into his forties he might need some testosterone supplementation. Now, women can't directly take oral testosterone. That would be dangerous for a woman. Sometimes women can use a testosterone cream that they might rub on their body. But in general, supplementing testosterone in women doesn't always result in a in a big jump in sex drive because there's so many other factors that load onto sex drive and sexual responsivity. But it's always worth talking to your doctor And getting those levels checked out if you used to be interested in sex and you're not anymore.
0: That's also helpful. And will you now explain vasocongestion and its connection to a woman having a pleasurable sexual experience?
1: Yes. And that, that vasocongestion, that sounds like a scary word, but it's just the medical term for blood flow. So whenever you have blood flow to a certain area of your body, that's vaso, you know, vascular congestion. So that gathering there. So when a man has vasocongestion um, in his genitals, it's very obvious because he gets an erection. But for women, because our genitals are hidden away, we can't see and oftentimes don't even know that we're having vasocongestion as well. So what's happening is that blood flow, is going, a woman is sexually excited, and her body is responding, then that blood flow to the genitals, that is helping prepare her for sex. And in particular, one thing that's happening is something called the orgasmic platform. And this is where the entrance to the vagina, there is more blood flow there. And it makes the entrance to the vagina and the the first Um, maybe inch into the vagina swell up. And this allows more contact with the G spot, which is inside a woman's vagina about if a woman were like in stirrups and and the doctor is looking directly at her vagina, a clock would be 12 o'clock is the top and six o'clock is at the bottom near the anus. 12 o'clock is the top part. So the G-spot's about an inch or a little bit more, depending on the woman, into the vagina at that 12 o'clock position. And it's a little bit rougher area. It feels more like a sponge. It's about the size maybe of a dime. And when it's stimulated, it might grow to about the size of a quarter. And what it is, is it's the nerve. It's that root ball of the nerve endings of the clitoris. And it's an area that can be particularly responsive to sexual stimulation. So when you have vasocongestion in the genitals of a woman, one of the things that's doing is is making all of that area more responsive as well. And something happens that's called the orgasmic platform, which just like with a train, if you're going to catch a train, you've got to be up on the platform. For a woman, if you're going to catch an orgasm, You have to have this orgasmic platform that's happening in your genitals that allows for enough sexual excitement. And so this can be tricky if like you're taking blood pressure medicine because it reduces your blood pressure, which for men, it can make it difficult to get an erection, which usually they can tell that it's very obvious. But with women, they don't realize, okay, I'm taking my blood pressure medicine and I haven't been able to have an orgasm for a while. It's those two things are related. Now, again, we don't want you to stop taking your blood pressure medicine. Uh, we don't want you to, to, to have a heart attack, but it is something to talk to your doctor about and see if there, what else could you do to lower your blood pressure in addition to taking medicine so that sexually your body is more likely to be able to create that pleasure. And so other diseases that have to do with blood flow. So whether that's diabetes or something that has caused some atrophy of the genitalia, vaginal atrophy, for instance, women that have had chemotherapy, different kinds of chemotherapy, different kinds of radiation, depending on where that's at, that can possibly cause some atrophy of those vaginal tissues. So the blood flow doesn't work as well there. So again, even though it's embarrassing to talk to your doctor about these things, it's really important to do that because there are things you can do to help improve that, but you won't know unless you, you know, get some help. And with those kind of things in the same way
0: that other medication, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication, could you potentially alter the timing if you talk to your doctor and see if you could take it either right before, maybe right after the
1: sexual intercourse together? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, antidepressants, particularly SSRIs, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, the original ones, which are like Prozac, Zoloft, Paxil, they do have a tendency to have sexual side effects and they can make it more difficult to have an orgasm. And I take Prozac myself and I don't take a very high dose, but it definitely over the last couple of years with the pandemic and just stress and whatnot, it's been helpful for me because I can struggle at times with depression, but I can tell if I take it and then have sex within a couple of three hours after that, that my genitals just don't respond as well. And it's just having just a little bit, you know, you need some sexual tension, in order for pleasure to build. And it's just kind of making that harder for that to happen. So I take my pill in the morning. So we usually will have sex in the morning and then I take my medicine because right before you take your medicine is when it's that you have the least amount of it in your bloodstream. Another thing that we'll do is like when we go on vacation I will sometimes do a drug holiday and I will go a couple of days without taking my antidepressant. And usually by the third day, I can tell I need to start taking it again. But you can talk to your doctor, you know, depending on your level of depression, the severity of it and figuring out are there some things I can do to help with my sex life. I know some women maybe don't take it on the weekend. And like if they don't see their husband during the week, maybe he travels or maybe she travels during the week. They take it during the week, and then maybe they take a break on the weekend when they're together again because they want their genital response to be better. So again, these are things to talk to your doctor about and be willing to notice. It helps sometimes just like to calendar and write it down and notice, okay, this was good. And kind of working both with your menstrual cycle and also working with your medication profile. What can we do? So that we're several times a month, we're having some great sex. And then as well, talk to your doctor. It might be that there's a different medication that you could try. Some of the newer antidepressants don't have as much of a sexual side effect profile. So that might be Lexapro, Celexa, Cymbalta. Those people don't have as many sexual side effects. And there's other, you know, migraine medicines can affect your sex drive and your ability to orgasm. So it's always good to read those little pamphlets that they stick in your bag when you get your prescription medicines or when you take over the counter meds. Definitely read those. That's so helpful. And thank you
0: for being so open and really normalizing that and offering some creative solutions because even things like decongestants, that dries you up and so that likely would dry up your genital lubrication as well so it all of these meds may have some impact so appreciate those practical examples thank you to all our patrons who financially support this work you put a smile on our faces when you sign up to become a patron your generosity is both inspiring and encouraging and we are so grateful I also want to invite everyone else to join the club. So visit thesavvysauce.com and click on the Patreon tab. Then follow the prompts after clicking Join Patreon here. When you contribute at least $5 a month, you automatically will have access to a bonus library of content. New podcasts are available exclusively to paying patrons every month. And every quarter, you get a new downloadable scripture card designed by Ange at Jars of Grace. So visit thesavvysauce.com and click the Patreon tab today. What are some other important things that you'd like for us to know about female orgasm?
1: I think it's important for women to know that age works in this area. You know, there are so many other areas where like, oh, you know, I'm at my peak of my strength and bone density when I'm in my 20s. And Then it's all downhill from there. But when it comes to your sexual response, women hit their sexual peak really in their thirties. And what we mean by sexual peak is the time from first stimulation to orgasm. You know, most people know that men reach their sexual peak somewhere around, you know, 18 to 20. But what that means is the first stimulation starts. And then within two minutes, he's already ejaculated. So I don't call that a sexual peak. I actually call that premature ejaculation. So it depends on how you, you want to think about sexual peak. But for women, you know, when they're in their twenties, it can be a challenge to to get to orgasm. And sometimes I'll talk to women and they're just discouraged because maybe they've they've waited until they've gotten married. You know, they were trying to like, okay, I I really want to honor God with my sexuality. And so you know they they don't have sex until they get married. And then they're like, he's having a good time, but I'm not having a good time. And for them to understand, as you get into your 30s and 40s, it will get easier and easier for your body to orgasm. And you will need less and less stimulation to reach orgasm. Now that's assuming you're not in sexual pain and that you and your husband do have that emotional connection and you have positive attitudes towards sex. And so that's good news. Now, when a woman reaches menopause, which is the cessation of having a period, the average age of menopause is about 51 and a half. And after that point, it can be more difficult for women's bodies to orgasm. But again, there are things that you can do and things that you can work on to help yourself during that time period. So, you know, as a woman, not only every day of the month are we kind of different, but from year to year and from decade to decade, our body is responding different sexually. So I love what you're doing, Laura, with this podcast, because it's understanding, you know, that sex education class that maybe you had in sixth grade or seventh grade, That's only the start of our education. We have to keep educating ourselves as women because we don't stay the same sexually. Our bodies don't stay the same. And so we have to keep understanding, okay, what is it like in this decade? Now that I've had children, what is this like? Um, If I'm breastfeeding, how does that affect me sexually? what kinds of birth control and how does that affect me sexually? And so we just need to keep educating ourselves, just like we do educate ourselves perhaps about other aspects of our health. Your sexual health is part of your overall health. So we want to keep educating ourselves.
0: Well, thank you for that encouragement. And even for the woman, maybe she's recently entered menopause. Could you just give a few examples of those things that you're talking about that could help her with that transition?
1: Well, certainly because dryness and a thinning of the walls of the vagina, that typically is what can cause women just in terms of their genitals, sex, if perhaps they hadn't had pain, they might start having pain because they're not lubricating as much and the actual vaginal tissues are not as elastic because of the decrease in estrogen. And so understanding that she may need some HRT, some hormone replacement therapy, and to talk to her doctor about that. Some women are very scared of that because a number of years ago, there was a study that came out that linked the use of HRT with increased incidence of heart disease but you really need to talk to your doctor about your family's profile for heart disease because for some women that didn't really have a history of that and that didn't have a family history it may raise their risk from 1% to 2% if they went on hormone replacement therapy. Well that's not much of that's not really increasing your risk very much in my opinion and if HRT could keep you from having hot flashes and having a very difficult time with menopause, then that would be something to consider. So again, you need to talk to your doctor about that to see whether some HRT could help with that transition through menopause. And then you got to use it or lose it. It's a lot like walking, how a doctor will say, you know, you got to keep walking because you don't want to lose that mobility. And it's the same way we need to keep blood flowing to our genitals. And so, to figure out what what can we do first of all to make sure things aren't as painful for me perhaps you know find a new lubricant and then a lot more foreplay more creativity taking more time with sex but to keep blood flowing blood flow brings oxygen and brings good stuff to your genitals so we, we want to keep that you know if you're waiting and having sex once every three or four months, then particularly after menopause, that's not keeping those tissues in as good of health. So a lot of communication with your spouse and with your doctor. Many OBGYN practices now have somebody that specifically works with menopause and hormonal issues. A lot of times it might be a nurse practitioner and that's what they focus on. And so we've come a long way in that area and it's definitely worth getting a consult with somebody if you're finding, wow, I'm I'm really struggling now that I'm in menopause. Hmm.
0: That is so interesting because what I'm hearing too is that blood brings life and even in the way God designed us, doesn't that just reveal the gospel?
1: I hadn't thought of that, but you are exactly you are exactly right. How about that?
0: <laughs> and then as we look for women of all ages then are there any other ways that our physical health impacts our sexual response?
1: Well, certainly obesity will decrease our sexual response. And we do have an obesity epidemic here in the United States. And so really being aware, and for women, I think, it and for men, if we're obese, a lot of times we don't feel as sexy. We don't feel as attractive. Now, I'm all about body positivity and whatever weight you're at, I want you to love your body and know that your body can be sexually responsive and is beautiful. But we also do need to be realistic about the obesity's effect because it affects circulation and it can affect the ability to even move in certain ways to create sexual pleasure. So, Exercise is really helpful again when you know when we're exercising we're, we're creating endorphins so that helps with pain relief and it's getting blood flow to all parts of our body, including our genitals. And just to mention this as well you know if, if you are dealing with uh, like painful intercourse, sometimes that might be related to muscle tension in the pelvic area. And so exercise can help with that. Pelvic floor physical therapy can help with that. Certain yoga poses like happy baby pose and some diaphragmatic breathing can help. So realizing we are a trinity, we're created out of the love of the trinity and we're created in God's image and God is a trinity. So we are too, mind, body, and soul. And all of these things connect And realizing taking good care of our body not only helps our body be healthy enough to be sexually responsive, but it also sends this message of value back to ourself. And a person who feels valuable and feels a healthy sense of self-esteem is somebody who's going to be sexually healthier and have, again, a connection with their body that helps make things go better in the bedroom.
0: Is there anything else that just leaves you in awe of God's design of our bodies and sex that we just haven't covered yet? Oh my goodness, Laura!
1: I could talk about this for about six days without <laughs> stopping. So, if I would just say that it's never too late, and sometimes when when I'm talking to women, you can tell they're just they feel discouraged because they've they've tried different things. And nothing's helped so far. And their sex life has been a place of a lot of tears, maybe tears over physical pain or emotional pain, confusion. If they are a sexual abuse survivor, oftentimes that abuse is impairing in some way their body's ability to feel safe and their body's ability to be comfortable, even with sexual arousal. And so they may need you know, some therapy to help them reclaim what was taken from them so that they really do get to fully experience the passionate intimacy that God has designed for married couples. So I just encourage women to not give up and to say, okay, maybe I'm going to make an appointment with a therapist. And now you can, you know, do so much over telehealth. Um, so even if there isn't somebody in your area, maybe you could see somebody in another part of the country, but over telehealth. Uh maybe you're realizing I don't I don't trust my husband in some way. And it's really hard, you know, being sexual with, with your husband is it's very intimate and makes you very vulnerable. And if you don't trust him on some level, it can be really hard to, to relax and enjoy sex. So maybe there's some couples therapy. Maybe y'all need to read a book together. Maybe you need a marriage mentor, or maybe you're not comfortable with your body and you have just a lot of loathing of your body. So maybe checking out some resources about how to overcome body shame. There's a lot of different things we can do. And I encourage women, just pick one thing. You don't have to tackle everything at once. Just make one step towards improving your sexual health and it's amazing how when you start taking one step and seeing some success there then it opens up okay well then i'm I'm, I'm gonna try this now and it can really get a good good momentum going and so it's never too late no matter what your age it's never too late you're never too broken for jesus to heal
0: That's so good. And really not many Christian women do the same work you do. So if somebody wants to look you up online to see if they can become a client or just want to find a way to learn more from you, where
1: would you direct us? So currently I'm a clinical psychologist in Kentucky and the way our licensure law works I can only see counseling clients who are physically in the state of Kentucky. Now, we're hoping, we're, we're trying to get reciprocity going with other states, so I can do some coaching work with people across state lines over the phone, but what I've done to try and help women that perhaps are not able to meet with me in person, they live somewhere else, is I created Fan the Flame, A Wife's Guide to Igniting Sexual Intimacy in Marriage. And I have this as a webinar that you can listen to. It's really funny and it's very helpful. There's a really good 17-page outline that you can download and print out. This is something you and your husband can watch together. And I go over the sexual fire triangle. And all the stuff I've said today, I say that and more. So it's really good information. And that's also available as a DVD, but if you just want to do the download and, and watch it on your, on your computer or whatever, that's easier for a lot of people to do. And you can, you can find that resource at jenniferdegler.com, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-D-E-G-L-E-R Degler.com. And another resource you can sign up for at jenniferdegler.com is our dare of the month. And you can, can sign up and we will email you once a month a dare to help you initiate a creative sexual encounter with your husband. Nothing nasty. It's something cute. It's just something fun to help you shift out of neutral sexually into drive and kind of get get your pump primed so that you're thinking about sex and being creative and having fun. And so that's a, a free resource that, that you can get once a month. And there are blog posts there and different things like that at com to to help with education. But I would encourage women to start with Fan the Flame, watching that. It's a couple of hours. You can have a Fan the Flame party, invite your girlfriends over, print out an outline for everybody, eat chocolate, laugh, have a great time learning, and then go home and set your bedroom on fire.
0: <laughs> oh, that is so fun. Thank you for sharing that. I will absolutely link to those resources in the show notes for today's episode, And you may be aware we are called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or insight. And so as my final question for you today, Dr. Jennifer, what is your Savvy Sauce?
1: My Savvy Sauce is I am responsible for my sexual pleasure. That's why the sexual fire triangle really matters. And those are three areas, creating a sexually responsive body, creating emotional connection with my husband, and cultivating healthy biblical attitudes towards sex. That's the savvy sauce. And ultimately, I'm the only one that can really make those three things happen. It's not my husband's job to give me an orgasm. Ultimately, it's about me taking responsibility and saying, I am a sexual person. And this is something God has for me. And I am ready to step into this and really work on this so that I have every bit of pleasure that God has designed for me.
0: Well, Jennifer, you are so humble and so hilarious and extremely knowledgeable. So I just want to say thank you for studying this topic and then being willing to share that helpful education with us. It was such an honor to get to host you as my guest today. Thank you, Laura. This has been fun. Thank you for the work you do. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next
1: time.